Hi, and welcome to the Writers Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I am joined by Pulitzer Prize-winning historian and writer David J. Garrow, who has just penned a behemoth-sized new book called Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you so much. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you and, and talk about this really kind of incredible undertaking that you've uh, done over the past uh, several years, actually. And uh, to kind of start us off, I was wondering, why did you want to write this book? Back in 2008, uh, when Bar- Barack won the Iowa caucuses at the beginning of the 2008 presidential campaign, I was uh, embarrassed that I knew next to nothing about him, uh, notwithstanding how over the years I've written an awful lot about uh, race in America, um, particularly my um, big authoritative biography of, of Martin Luther King Jr. bearing the cross. So I started reading the biographical journalism about Obama uh, during that 2008 campaign. Uh, and the more I read, the, the more disappointed I was at how uh, lacking in, in thoroughness uh, those stories were. And so soon after his inauguration in uh, early 2009, I uh, went to Chicago for the first time with uh, uh, the intent of uh, speaking with the community organizing mentors who had uh, hired and and supervised Barack when he was in his mid-twenties in the 1980s, uh, working in Chicago before he went to law school. And within literally my first two days there, they pointed me towards this uh, attorney who had uh, done the pro bono incorporation of uh, their community groups and uh, tax lawyers saved their files. So this lady had this uh, manila folder of all these documents that Barack himself had typed in 1986, 1987, uh, including the names of everyone in his community group who was working with him at that time. And so uh, all of a sudden I had uh, 45 or so people to uh, to go look for, uh, 95% of whom uh, journalists had, had never heard of. Uh, that was the, the beginning of uh, what ended up being a, a nine-year process and uh, more than uh, 1,000 uh, personal interviews. That's astounding. Uh, that, that, that's it's a lot of work going into that. It, it's interesting. One of the things that I'm very interested in is seeing that this is such recent history. Uh, we just got a new president. He has just you know stopped being our president. Uh, and I'm wondering how you were able to peer through kind of the myth-making tendencies in modern history and try and grab some of the facts. I think there are two big differences between what I do as a historian and uh, what journalistic writers do. Um, first off, I'm very document-oriented, uh, and in this book, I'm I'm very fortunate that uh, you know during the all of the 1980s into the uh, mid 1990s, uh, this was all before email, um, and so there were an awful lot of uh, you know, hard copy paper documents. Uh, Barack was quite a letter writer during those years. And when you go visit people in person rather than just call them on the phone, uh, folks almost always make the effort to, to look through their old boxes and see what they have from college or uh, the community group work in the 1980s. And so I ended up as the beneficiary of uh, scores and scores of people who had hung on to things. Um, Barack's best friend in law school and in the years after law school, Rob Fisher, 
they wrote a, an unpublished book manuscript together, uh, about 250 pages. Uh, it's a remarkable document. Uh, no one else had, had ever read it before. Um, and I believe, too, in uh, trying to find everybody who was present. I learned uh, during all my books on Dr. King and the civil rights movement in the South that oftentimes the people with the best memories are not the well-known names, but the, the, the church secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> my goal is always to, to find everybody who was there, uh, not just a sampling of two or three. No, I think that's interesting. And uh, I also find it interesting that you're going to be one of the first people to write kind of this extensively with this many primary sources and documents about the president. Uh, were you thinking in mind of this being like a primary source for historians in the future uh, when oh. you were writing this? Yeah, I, I very much uh, intend for this to be a uh, an authorita- <clears throat> authoritative book of record um, that will, you know, remain uh, the sort of number one resource on on Barack Obama's pre-presidential life for uh, decades to come. Um, out of the more than 1,000 people whom I spoke with, uh, a good oh six or eight have already passed away. Um, people who who Barack worked with back during the 1980s, um, and so it's I think really valuable. Um, when you're dealing with as as complicated and at times as controversial uh, a life story as Obama's, uh, to have someone who's as sort of compulsively thorough as I am uh, tackling that. I, I agree, and I'm glad that you bring up the complicated factor uh, when focusing on his early life. Uh, there are a lot of things that have been glossed over in the biographies you find in journalism and, and also his autobiographies. And I was wondering if you could talk about some of those things that you discovered. Um, I'd highlight two things. Um, Barack's own memoir, uh, published in 1995, uh, was written at a time when he already uh, was 100% committed to pursuing a, an electoral career. Um, and so it's a, a campaign book. Uh, even though it pretends not to be. Um, And being uh, in Chicago uh, at that time, uh, Barack very uh, purposely uh, cast his early life as being a whole lot more African-American in his early identity uh, than in fact had had been the case. Um, Growing up in Hawaii, uh, living briefly in Indonesia, um, Barack had really not encountered uh, black America uh, till he moved to Chicago when he was 24, 25 years old. And the other uh, huge uh, gap, uh, misleading element uh, in his own telling of his story uh, is entirely omitting uh, two really central uh, defining relationships with women uh, during the 1980s. Uh, first, Genevieve Cook, uh, the daughter of an Australian diplomat, uh, who was Barack's girlfriend in New York, uh, who he asked to go to Chicago with him in, in 1985 and uh, turned him down. And then Sheila Yeager, uh, whom Barack was involved with for five years between 1986 and 1991, uh, a really defining relationship in, in Barack's life. Uh, And Sheila, more than anyone, uh, witnessed firsthand 
uh, Barack's self-transformation into someone who uh, wanted to be a, a public figure and a politician. Yeah, I found that part to be incredibly interesting, especially with its focus on, you know, uh, looking at political realities versus, you know, who you love in that time in Chicago and maybe even until now and in certain places. Uh, could, you, could you talk about that a little bit? Um, Barack and Sheila began living together uh, within three months of, of meeting each other. Um, they were talking very seriously about getting married uh, within six months. Um, Sheila took Barack home to uh, meet her parents in California uh, over Christmas 1986, uh, and Sheila's parents were uh, underwhelmed by the uh, career prospects of, of someone who was working as a community organizer. Um, and so they and, and the family's best friend, who was, was there too, uh, opposed the idea of, of uh, Sheila and Barack uh, getting married uh, so, so quickly. Uh, but they remained uh, involved, um, even into Barack's time uh, in law school at, at Harvard. Um, and I think one thing I'd really stress is how everyone who had known Barack uh, up through age uh, 24, uh, when he heads to Chicago, uh, thought he was a perfectly nice guy, but uh, in no way uh, any particular standout. Uh, fast forward three years after his, his time in Chicago when he goes to Harvard to begin law school uh, in 1988. Everyone who meets him uh, there in law school, uh, students and faculty, uh, really without exception think uh, essentially, voila, uh, this is a remarkable young man whom we'll all be reading about in, in the future. Um, and so that self-transformation in Chicago, uh, 1985 to 1988, uh, when Sheila Yeager is, is the closest witness, uh, that's really the centerpiece of Barack's life story, even though he himself has, has never, ever publicly mentioned it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, and you were also able to talk to uh, former President Obama uh, when you were researching this book towards the end, right? Yes, last year I spent a total of eight hours um, with President Obama at the White House. Um, he read about 95% of the uh, book in, in TypeScript. Wow. Uh, and we spent two long uh, Sunday afternoons uh, at the White House with him paging through it and, and giving me uh, his reactions, uh, you know, positive and negative, uh, to different things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in the weird ways of Washington, uh, those conversations were, quote-unquote, off the record. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we weren't recording them, and I can't, uh, I'm not supposed to directly quote him, but I was uh, deeply uh, touched by, uh, you know, the sitting president of, of the United States uh, taking dozens of hours to uh, uh, read this carefully and, and mark it up. Interesting. That's very interesting. Uh, to to kind of pull us back to the, the overall project, why do you think documenting this time uh, and the 44th president's life is so important? And why didn't you uh, include any more into his actual political life in the presidency? I think what I've done uh, in this very long book uh, is really uh, authoritative and indeed definitive uh, for Barack's life uh, up till when he uh, goes to Washington uh, in 2005. 
Um, I think if I'd tried to do any more uh, with regard to his presidency, uh, there wouldn't be a similar degree of, of originality in, in that. I don't, uh, I don't think uh, anytime soon are we going to uh, see any, any serious uh, historical uh, works on the Obama presidency. But given how little has been out there uh, prior to this book uh, about his years in Chicago, and particularly his years in, in state politics uh, in the 1990s and early 2000s, um, it's an incredibly rich story and, and one that uh, journalists uh, pretty much 98% ignored. Interesting. Um, well, kind of having dedicated much of your life to the study of history and to writing extensively about it, uh, why do you think historians are important? Um, I think it's crucial uh, to have uh, scholarly historians who do not bring uh, political or, or ideological agendas uh, to their work. Um, so much of what we have in, in American journalism nowadays um, is unfortunately so infected uh, with partisan uh, uh, biases and, and, uh, and emotions. Um, we see that, unfortunately, even more so uh, this last six months. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, uh, it's really regrettable uh, how the intensity of, of the partisan divide in this country um, has infected uh, journalism um, in many areas of, of U.S. history. Uh, that's become the case, too. Uh, and so I made a, a very conscious effort uh, during all of my time in Chicago and across Illinois in, in interviewing people um, to go see all the Republicans um, whom Barack had worked with in the state legislature, and uh, not just the Democrats, uh, not just the African Americans. Uh, and it's a great, uh, wonderful part of the Obama story, uh, working in a a legislative chamber uh, controlled by very conservative Republicans, uh, Barack developed really good relationships uh, with uh, Republican Senate leaders um, who were uh, more conservative, uh, dramatically more conservative than uh, most of the Republicans we, we have in Washington today. Mm. Uh, and Barack also, in a, a very politically calculated way, uh, made uh, best friends with uh, conservative uh, Democrats from downstate Illinois, uh, the parts of the state far distant from Chicago. Uh, so when Barack finally ran statewide for the U.S. Senate in 2003-2004, um, he had this uh, base of support uh, that he'd been quietly building uh, for a number of years. Yeah, and I think it's important to kind of bring up the fact that uh, you kind of don't hide any of the political positioning that happens in his life. Uh, even though a lot of politicians don't like to shine a light to that, you, you do, which doesn't mean that necessarily this is a House of Cards style rise to power, but that that is the way that things go. And I think it's interesting to not shy away from that. And I'm, I'm really glad that you've kind of thrown that in there and this complicated nature that isn't always pretty. No, no thank you. Um, 
even with someone who um, was always as rhetorically uplifting as as Barack with his you know hope and change yes we can uh, when it came to uh, actual positions on the issues uh there were a lot of of pretty dramatic uh, self-contradictions in in Barack's uh, earlier record uh, when he's first getting started in politics in 1995, uh, he endorses gay marriage uh, very early on, uh, but then backs away from that, uh, doesn't come back to uh, that position until late in his presidency. Um, in Illinois politics, Barack's defining issue, uh, his real focus, uh, was campaign finance reform and, and wanting to uh, go to public finance, uh, get big private money out of politics, uh, and then come 2008, uh, Barack uh, completely reversed positions and, and uh, uh, declined public financing so as to uh, have an advantage over uh, John McCain, his Republican opponent. Um, and lastly, uh, uh, after 9-11, uh, 2001-2002, uh, Barack was an incredibly outspoken, tough opponent of government surveillance, the Patriot Act, the intelligence community. Um, and then as president, um, you know, Barack in the White House uh, ended up, uh, you know, even more supportive of, of the U.S. intelligence community and uh, the CIA than than even the George W. Bush administration. So it was a very different Obama presidency uh, than his Illinois uh, uh, record uh, uh, prepared people to expect. Interesting. Uh, you know, whether there are large numbers of people that both love and revile him, but many of them agree that his presidency itself was consequential in, in a lot of ways. Uh, would you agree with that? I think that the the two things I would highlight about the Obama presidency, um, number one, uh, for better or worse, uh, the most consequential aspects of it, I think, were almost entirely all overseas. Uh, our failure to, to intervene uh, forcefully in Syria uh, early on, uh, you know, continues to have you know really tragic consequences. Um, now, uh, with North Korea, uh, we face a, a, a much more serious nuclear crisis than uh, was the case back at the beginning of the Obama presidency. Um, and then thirdly, so much of, of the Obama foreign policy uh, legacy um, is focused on uh, the nuclear deal with Iran and, and the opening to Cuba, mm -hmm. um, both of which were based on the hope that uh, through these uh, accords, uh, both uh, the Iranian regime and, and the Cuban dictatorship uh, you know, would, would modernize, liberalize themselves, and at least so far, uh, that doesn't seem to be happening really at all in, in either country. Um, here at home, uh, the, the thing I would sing, single out, and I'm someone who's written a lot on the Supreme Court over the years, um, I think without question the, uh, the two most consequential um, aspects of, of Obama's uh, domestic legacy can be uh, uh, summed up in, in uh, four words, uh, Sonia Sotomayor um, and Elena Kagan, mm. uh, both of whom have turned out to be really first-rate Supreme Court justices. Um, and who will be there, uh, you know, long after uh, the, you know, the current debate over what happens uh, 
uh, with Obamacare has has you know faded into memory. Um, you know, similarly um, with President Trump this spring. Uh, no matter what happens with the Trump presidency, uh, Neil Gorsuch, uh, you know, very conservative, but a superb writer, mm-hmm. a superb judge. Uh, Justice Gorsuch will uh, still be there 25 years from now, too. That's interesting. Um, having written about such important public fe- figures in American history, I'm wondering, uh, have you noticed any trends that surprised you about these people or anything that was really important to you that you hadn't realized before, looking at kind of a microscopic level? Martin Luther King's life uh, is a radically different story than uh, the story of of any electoral politician. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. King was an incredibly selfless person, uh, someone who didn't really want to be a public figure, felt he'd been sort of called into, into sacrificing himself in, in a leadership role. Um, and King was intensely self-critical um, and never, um, never considered his, his own popularity or, or you know, ratings as a, a factor in, in deciding uh, what to do or, or what to say. Um, politics is, a, is an entirely different world, uh, where even someone uh, as, as uh, optimistic as, as Barack Obama uh, always was, uh, nonetheless is, in truth, uh, a very calculating, uh, entirely self-serving uh, political figure. Yeah, well, to kinda, we're kind of nearing the end of the interview. I wanted to give you a couple of fun questions uh, to go along with it. Um, what are the most influential, most, let me do that again. What are the most influential books that you've ever read? And what's the best book on American history that you've read? When I was even still in high school, um, I started reading all of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's, uh, books on the, uh, um, Soviet gulag and, and repression there. Uh, Arthur Kestler's A Darkness at Noon. Uh, I've also always, uh, though I've never written about it, uh, read the literature on uh, the rise of the Nazi regime and, and the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm someone who's always thought a lot about uh, the human capacity to inflict evil uh, on other human beings. Uh, the last uh, four or five weeks I've been uh, reading all of the, the best uh, recent journalism books about uh, the Islamic State. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that's a continuing theme in, in my own interest in history. Hmm, best book on U.S. history, that's very hard. Um, books that I've really enjoyed... Um, Manning Marable's biography of Malcolm X that came out uh, three or four years ago. It's it's a great book. Um, uh, Malcolm was a uh, a figure of tremendous promise. Um, Martin Duberman's uh, biography of uh, Paul Robeson, uh, the uh, black singer and and political activist. It's a, it's a great book, even though Robeson was a, a imperfect figure. Um, and then another book I've always loved, uh, had a big impact on me, uh, Gita Sereni's uh, biography of Albert Speer, 
uh, one of Adolf Hitler's top aides, a, a man who survived the, the Nazi regime, uh, tried to sort of reinvent himself as a, a mainstream figure in Germany, uh, even though he'd been deeply complicit in, in the Holocaust. Uh, a very powerful book. I can imagine. Uh, she's one of my favorite authors. Into That Darkness is an amazing book. Yes. Um, probably one of the better books I've ever read in my life. I think that, yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that. I'll have to look into that. Um, well, well, fantastic, David. Well, before we go, I'm wondering what's next for you. Do you have any big research projects up? Oh, no, not not at all. <laughs> um, uh, one of the positive aspects about uh, being based presently in, in Pittsburgh is that there's a, a good local craft beer scene here. So uh, I'm going to be doing uh, uh, more craft beer work than uh, writing this summer. That's okay. I think after, you know, uh, spending nine years writing over a thousand pages, you deserve a drink or two. Thank you. <laughs> All right, David. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. That was historian and author and Pulitzer Prize winner David J. Garrow talking about his latest book, Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama. And that's our show for today. You've been listening to the Writers' Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. You can catch us every Thursday at 4.30 p.m., Saturday at 8.30 a.m., and Sundays at 1 p.m. All of our interview programs can also be found on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash wrbhreadingradio, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.